few weeks ago. He wanted to be a preacher. And uh, so, anyway, I, you know, I guess I can turn it over to him. He probably got something to say, you know. <laughs> uh, he tells us all the time at home, you know, if you've got kids, especially if they're young, well, you know, they just, anyway, I tell you what, they say some interesting things. Lucy, the other day, we were feeding Nora, the baby. She's she's still uh, on baby food, obviously, and, and we were giving her some food, and, and Lucy looked at it, and she like any of us, said, you know, that just doesn't look good. And, and she said, you know, I guess for, for babies that's okay, but for humans, I don't think so. <laughs> so, and that's no lie, she said that. So, anyway, think back, if you would, to, to maybe years gone by, or even if you're young enough, maybe times right now or years even ahead to when you went to a, a dance or two. Maybe, maybe you were in high school or in college or uh, somewhere around there or even now maybe you've gone to a, a dance. I think back to, to going to, um, to dances when I was in high school and, and, I, and I hated them. I, I have to be honest with you. I just could not stand dances and, and, um, and yet I was during the time that I was a junior, and they had junior prom, ring dance is what we called it. You get your class ring, and then you go to the dance. I, I was dating a girl at the time, and, and she knew the dance was coming up, couldn't hide it from her, and so I had no excuse not to take her. And I trust me, if I could have hidden it, I would have I done it. I wouldn't have gone to this dance. And so my car at the time, you have to understand the cars that I've driven, they, of the I guess five cars in my lifetime that I've claimed as my own, they don't even make three of them anymore. And so, uh, and so the, the one I was driving at the time was a 1986 Chevrolet Spectrum, and it, uh, it wasn't much to speak of. It ran, and that, that was all that mattered. And yet, at the same time, it was not the kind of car that when you're 16 or 17 years old, you're pumped to take a date to a dance in. You know what I mean? And so, so I borrowed my grandparents' car because they were uptown. They had a 1990 Chevrolet Beretta. And it was sweet. And so I figured, that's better than my spectrum. So I, I told uh, Mama and Papa, I said, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to be able to borrow your car because it's big time and I'd like to go to the dance in it. And so, so they said, well, that's fine, no problem. So day of the dance, I go over to pick up their vehicle. And, and uh, it had rained the night before. And so it was a little bit damp outside. And, and I, I go and get in their car and I look over to the passenger seat and realize that the window had been left down all night long. And there was a puddle in the passenger seat floorboard. And so I, I didn't know what else to do because I, at that point I just thought, well, here's my excuse not to go to this dance. But, but the girl had already bought the dress and all that stuff, and, and I couldn't do that. And so anyway, so we had to put towels all over everything. And, I, and so she wound up sitting in there. And then it's pouring at the dance. It just, you know, it's one of those things I just shouldn't have gone. And, and so anyway, and then I, I, my senior prom, I remember if I hadn't been a class officer that year, I wouldn't have gone to that either. And uh, for whatever reason, I've just never, never really gotten into dancing much. Maybe it was just because I'm not any good at it. But, uh, but you know, it, if you think about dancing, it is an impressive thing when people can do it well. And I've, I've, I've watched different shows on television recently. You know, they've got, uh, what is the, uh, Dancing with the Stars has been on. And then they've got uh, the show, So You Think You Can Dance. And I saw one they came out with the other day. Uh, superstars of dance where different countries are competing against one another and so it's sort of a big thing and 
probably right now my favorite form of dance to watch, just because I'm so just in awe of it, uh, is that river dance stuff. You ever seen that? I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's sort of like a mixture of tap and ballet, but it's on steroids. I mean, it's just, there's like 50 of them. There's 50 of them, and they just go crazy. It's amazing, and I can't even keep up with their feet and all that stuff. When we were at Nancy's parents for Christmas, uh, they had a, a video of the river dance stuff, and I just, I, my mouth just falls open. It's just their feet are going crazy and all that stuff. The choreography in that is just amazing. I mean, it, for one person to be able to dance is impressive enough, but when you start getting maybe with a dance partner and they've got to do the different routines and the different steps all have to happen at the same time and movements are all choreographed, and then when you get that whole line of people doing that tap and, and, and ballet on steroids thing, I mean, it's just amazing the choreography that goes into it. And, and yet I realize that choreography is not only seen in dance, but also in, in even in sports. I was watching a basketball game not too long ago, and I, I just noticed how if things don't work together and the play isn't run exactly right, the way the coach drew it up, the ball's going out of bounds or to the other team. It's just, it's, or, or you're going to miss the shot. You're not going to get the shot that you want. But if you've ever seen a team that works exactly to the script that the coach has drawn up for them, the, the choreography that he, has, that he has created for them. It's, it's amazing to watch that. Yesterday I was watching the NFL playoffs, and, and I watched the game last night where Carolina was defeated by Arizona, and it was amazing because one team had their choreography pretty well working. The other team, however, threw five interceptions because the receiver and the quarterback we're never on the same page. Now, I'm not a football player, and I don't have a real good football mind, but think about it this way. Things have to happen at a certain time in that game, or you're going to throw five interceptions, or somebody's going to get hurt real bad. And last night, they didn't have it in sync. The receivers weren't running the routes they were supposed to. The quarterback wasn't delivering the ball at the time he was supposed to. But when it works right, and that quarterback drops back, and he takes three steps, and the receiver takes three steps, and then turns in, and the ball's already there. The choreography of that is really impressive, whether or not you like football. And so if you don't like dance, maybe you like sports. So there we go. How about that? But, but there's also choreography seen in lots of different things. And this morning, we're going to see how there is a perfect choreography that exists in a right relationship with God, and how in relationship with Him, there is something that he has choreographed to take place, that if we get it, if we understand it, then I believe we'll walk away today a little bit different and seeing how we can be in relationship with God a little bit differently, a little bit deeper. And so uh, we're going to continue, as I mentioned earlier, the series that we've been uh, doing, uh, actually just started last week. And we're, uh, just in case you're wondering, what can I read in the Bible that will kind of keep me up with what's going on? Well, uh, you can check out the book of Joshua. We're in a series that we're calling Unveiling the Secrets to Ultimate Success. And the truth be told, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we really have no idea what we're going to face. As we walk out of here today, as we live this week and this year, we really don't know what 2009 will bring. And, and we can look back on 2008 and quickly realize, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea that that would happen in 2008. Even things last week or yesterday, you just say, you know, I just, I, I didn't see that. And so we have no idea what's going to happen, good, bad, or otherwise. We really don't know. And so all of us, however, would say uh, that we would want to be successful with whatever it is that we do face. Don't know what's coming. 
but I want to be successful in engaging whatever it is. If it's something good, I want to handle it the right way. If it's something that's a negative situation in my life, I want to make sure that I come out successful and victorious on the other side. There's nobody in their right mind that would say, no matter what I face in life, I want to be a complete and utter failure. There's nobody in their right mind that would say that. And so I'm going on the, the foundation today that you're in your right mind. Correct? Okay. And that I am as well, at least most of us, and, and that we want to be successful. And so even though in America and in our world we seem very successful because we have a job maybe or we make a certain amount of money or we own this or own that or we've done this or done that, underneath all of that, if you do the research and understand it, and it's not hard to figure out, there's a tremendous amount of despair of feeling sort of irrelevant hopelessness that exists in our country and in our world. And so there's, there's some disconnect between how successful as a whole we seem and really what's going on on the inside of us. And so there must be something different then be, between what we perceive as success and what really is success. And so last Sunday morning, we spent some time redefining what ultimate success is all about. And the truth be told, if you look at the book of Joshua, the first nine verses, the Lord lays it out very clearly that ultimate success is not found in anything but being faithful and obedient to the Word of God. That's it. And it's available for everyone. You want to be successful in life according to the one whose definition matters, according to God's definition, be faithful and obedient to the Word of God, and you will be successful regardless of how much money you make or don't make, regardless of how high you climb up the corporate ladder, regardless of whether you're able to retire when you want to or not, regardless of no matter anything else, you, you can be successful by simply being obedient and faithful to God's Word. And then we, we looked last Sunday evening at the fact that although we can redefine something, if we don't have strength and courage along the way to make it happen, then we're probably going to fall flat on our face with a simple definition. Well, I know what it is, but we need strength and courage to get there. And so this morning we're going to pick up where we left off, and if you've got your Bible, I'd like for you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, over in the Old Testament, uh, toward the beginning of it. If you don't know anything about the Bible, please don't let that stop you. If you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, look at the table of contents. The book of Joshua you'll see is in the Old Testament, and you can find the page number there to, to join us this morning. Uh, and so we're going to begin in, uh, in verse 10. We picked up, or excuse me, left off last week in verse 9. So uh, check it out, verse 10. Uh, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days you will be crossing the Jordan to go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Now, the verses that we looked at last week right before this are, are God basically saying, Okay, it's time to go and take possession of what I promised you for hundreds of years. If you, if you have any clue about this story whatsoever, uh, it, even if you don't, I, the, the, the basis of it is this. God had promised them that they would have a land and an inheritance from God. They would, that the Israelite people would eventually find rest in a home that they did not yet possess. And so the book of Joshua is the beginning of the fulfillment of all of that. And so in verses 1 through 9, Joshua showed up to, or excuse me, the Lord had showed up to Joshua and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take possession of the land. You're going to lead them in. And so in verse 10, Joshua tells the people, get ready, because this is about to happen. Now, put yourself in their position for just a second and realize that this had been something that for hundreds of years they had been waiting to do. I don't know what kind of goals you've set in life, what, kind of, what sort of things you think that, you know, one day I'm going to do this. One day this is going to happen. 
And you wait and wait and wait, or you just hope that maybe one day this will happen, or you feel like God has promised you something, that you know what, this is going to be what your life is going to be about. Imagine waiting and waiting and waiting, and some of you have, and finally you get to the point where you think, I believe God says, okay, now's the time. Imagine the excitement of the, 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 the Israelite people who, from, from estimates, probably between one and two million people, and they have been waiting. Their ancestors waited. They wandered around in the desert just prior to this for 40 years waiting on God to come through on His promise, and here it is. And so imagine when Joshua says, get ready. I imagine if I'm them, I'm scrambling. All right, I'm ready. i got everything packed, been packed for 40 years. Where do we go? I'm ready. And so... Joshua then tells him to get ready. Joshua, verse 12, said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, The Lord your God will give you rest, and he will give you this land. Your wives, young children, and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your fighting men must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives our brothers rest as he has given you, and they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. They answered Joshua, Everything you have commanded us we will do, and everywhere you send us we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. They're ready. They are ready to see what God is going to do. They've waited for hundreds of years. They've wandered for 40 in the desert. And now they're on the brink of seeing what God is going to do. God had promised them, I am giving you the land. He didn't say a whole lot other than that. He told Joshua, get the people ready. Joshua tells the people, it's time, get ready. And then chapter 2. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from Acacia Grove. Some of you are... Uh, versions maybe say a different place, same, same place, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. Now, uh, let me pause there for just a second, because if I'm Joshua, if I'm Joshua in this story, and God has promised that he's giving us the land, and then all of a sudden he says well, something about getting in battle formation, I'm going to wait a minute. Now, God, you've, you've promised, you're bigger than all this stuff anyway, you've promised that we're going we're gonna to take possession of the land, and yet... Now you're talking about battle formations, and Joshua's sending out spies. What's the deal? Because if God's going to do it, then why didn't he just do it? Why don't things just happen? If God's that big and he can control everything, then what's the point in sending out spies and getting in battle formation? I mean, those are questions that come to my mind, and and I hope that we'll answer those here in just a second. But, I mean, think about it. If if God has told you something's going to happen, you just think, well, God, okay, good, take care of it. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that? I mean, I would just, I'd love if, if the Lord told me this is going to happen, that's going to happen, I'm going to do this for you, and, and so on. I mean, I, I, all right, God, I'm just going to sit, and I'm just going to wait until you do it. But that's not the choreography that God wrote up. That's not the relationship that we have with Him. And so He sent out spies. You ever wanted to be a spy? I have. I, you know, every 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 spy movie that I see, I want to be that guy. You know, I just, and, and maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm different than you, but I just, you know, there's just something about it. It's, it's the intrigue and, and all the cool stuff they get to use. You know, it's just, um, maybe for you, uh, maybe it was James Bond. You'll see these guys up on the screen that have, that have played uh, Bond over the years. And uh, I don't know, maybe you were Sean Connery, you know. Uh, you know, Roger Moore, maybe that was you. You know, I, probably the one that I'm most familiar with is uh, Pierce Brosnan. 
who uh, came out with the Bond movies back in the 80s. Of course, Daniel Craig is, is a guy now. And maybe you were that, that person, or maybe you, know, you just put yourself in the story. You always wanted to be the sophisticated spy who knew everything, you know, was just you know, as smooth as he could be, had all the cool gadgets, or maybe you're not quite that sophisticated, and yours was, was maybe uh, you know, the, the next guy here would be maybe more along the lines of, of who you wanted to be. Um, can we, there we go. Maybe you wanted to be Maxwell Smart. I, I remember when I was a kid watching uh, reruns of that. Maybe some of you, uh, I know that, that you know, none of you are, are going to reveal your age, but some of you maybe remember when that came out. And not quite as sophisticated as James Bond. Uh, and, and so, but I, you know, I wanted to be that, that sort of spy. So Joshua sends out these guys and he says, go scout the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was sort of the passageway, the gate, so to speak, to get into all the rest of the promised land. And it was fortified. And as we'll see here in a couple of weeks, we'll look at how fortified it was and what the Israelites had to do in order for God to come through for them. And so Joshua sends out the, the spies. And then we'll pick it up at the end of verse 2. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. If I'm writing the Bible, I don't. I really, I'm not sure that I that that I would write in these sorts of characters. I just have to be honest with you, you know, because we just see God using people that we think there's no way. I mean, isn't everybody in the Bible perfect? I mean, didn't they always do what God wanted them to do every single time? God, we'll see here, uses a prostitute named Rahab. Verse two, the king of Jericho was told, "Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land." Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your home, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I don't know where where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly so you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road of the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, verse 8, she, Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that dread has fallen on all of us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea, that was 40 years before, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. Then the men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country, so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. The men said to her, We will be free from this oath, You made us swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all of your family's house, all of your family's family, excuse me, into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. 
And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied. And she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country, and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. As I mentioned before, there's a perfect choreography that exists in right relationship with God. Through this story, as we sort of dive into it this morning, we're going to see how that perfect choreography involves this. It involves you doing your part and trusting God to do His. Do your part and trust God to do His. That's the way that God has orchestrated and designed life with Him to be. You do your part, you trust God to do His. So we're going to look today at what our part is and what we need to be trusting God to do that's His part. And we'll find it in the lives of Joshua and of Rahab, two totally different people that really had nothing in common except they did their part and they trusted God to do His. So what is our part? I'm going to go through these as briefly as I can, and at the same time, I I hope that you'll follow along and maybe follow up in personal study of of what we're doing here. You'll see on the back of your bulletin a way that you can follow along if you're into that. If that helps you, then feel free to do that. If not, uh, then just at least make make it seem like that you're paying attention and following along, all right? So I know that every once in a while your head will nod and you'll wake up and that'll help me. How about that? What is our part? First of all, our part is personal faith. This is where it really all starts. So both Joshua and Rahab, you look at, look at chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Rahab is saying this, and she said, When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And, and here's her personal statement of faith. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Her statement of faith understood who God was and that He was in charge. And so both Joshua and Rahab had a personal faith in God. The truth is this. No one else can do it for you. You ever been there? You ever, you ever maybe back uh, years ago in your life, maybe if you've become a Christian since then, you, you just kept thinking, well, if I just go to church enough, I'll be okay. I mean, if I can, if I can just kind of hang around the right people, maybe they'll rub off on me and eventually I'll, I'll be okay. Or, or maybe... Maybe, you know, when it's all said and done, really, maybe, it, maybe it's just about, did I do enough good things to kind of outweigh the bad stuff? To, well, you know, yeah, I did a couple of things. But maybe, maybe the good stuff will outweigh the bad stuff. You ever, you ever thought that way? Maybe, maybe there are people here that, that believe that way today, and we're kind of stuck in that cycle of wondering, am I really going to make it to heaven? Do I really know God? I mean, have I really been saved? What, 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 can, I, what can I do? The truth is, there's nothing anyone else or, or going to church or just doing enough good things can do for you to, to replace what is required, and that is repentance and personal faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can replace that. And the simple truth is also a very freeing truth because the great news is that since nothing can replace that, you don't have to worry about, did I go to church enough? Did I do enough right things? Did I avoid enough bad stuff? Did I say the right things at the right times? You don't have to worry about all that stuff because where it starts is in personal faith in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation, the Bible makes it very clear, apart from Jesus Christ. 
How can you know that you have committed your life to Him and be saved? Repent of your sin. I mean, turn, to, turn away from it. Walk the other direction and put, place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Personal faith is where it starts. For Rahab, in order for her to do her part, it started with her statement of faith. I believe God is who He says He is. For us, it starts with our personal faith. I believe Jesus is who He says He is. That He came to earth, lived a sinless life, died in my place for the sin and for the payment that I owed to God. And as a result, He offers me the free gift of forgiveness and grace so that, so that I don't have to feel like I have to earn it anymore and He took my place and I repent of my sin, turn away from Him, place my trust in Him, and I get eternal life in heaven and I get what the Bible calls life to the fullest here on earth. It begins with simple faith. How do you know what your part is? It begins with personal faith. Faith. Both Rahab and Joshua showed that personal faith is where it begins. And then from there, it flows into obedience. The Bible makes it very clear in the book of James that, that faith, true faith in, in Jesus Christ, is always, always followed by obedience and good works. Always. Now, the, the thing about it is that we sometimes get confused is we, we want to do the good works and count on them, but we're not really sure about this personal faith thing because that kind of changes the way that our heart is and the way that we have to live. And then we got somebody to answer to, and that makes a problem for us because we don't like to answer to anybody. You with me? And so the problem then comes in if we get this reversed. The first step is personal faith, placing your trust in Jesus Christ. The next step is it is always followed by obedience and good works, always. And, and in a very real way, I think, in your life and in mine, if we say, you know, yeah, I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and yet we have never then followed in obedience to Him and in doing what He's asked us to do, I would question whether or not we have really committed our lives to Jesus Christ. I think the Bible questions whether we've committed our lives to Him if it's not followed by obedience and good works. That's not something to make you feel bad. It's just a simple truth of the Bible that hopefully will open our eyes. Obedience... And in, in even, and in, in you'll see there, I've, I've gone ahead and listed them out in your bulletin, uh, just in the routine things. And Joshua, as I said, I would struggle if I were, were Joshua because I would think, you know, God, you've already said you're going to give us this land, and now I've got to just go through the motions here of just being obedient? Yeah. Joshua, it's, it's clear in the Bible and, and, and in Israelite history, they typically sent spies out to figure out what, what we need to do to take this land, what we need to do to win this battle. And so it was just routine for him. He followed God, not only because God said, I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to be routine in my obedience. The truth is that sometimes that routine obedience gets a little bit mundane, and we just think, God, is this, you know, man, I get up, I'm going to do the same thing again today. And yet there's something miraculous that happens when you just routinely obey God and what He's told you. You become different over time. There are things in your life, habits that are formed and habits that are broken, that then point you further to God just through routine obedience. Joshua showed us just by sending out spies that he was willing to be obedient to God even in the routine things. And then exact obedience. Those men that showed up there to Rahab's house and they made this covenant with her that if she would hang a scarlet cord out her window, that they would not attack her home, that they would be spared, everyone who was in there. And so it's, it's interesting when you get to down to verse uh, 20, what is it, 21. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. 
Now, I would venture to say that if she had tied a different color cord around the window, they probably still would have recognized it was her home. Because how many other people would have tied some other cord out and known about this thing at all? But her obedience was exact. She did exactly what they had told her to do. And sometimes in our lives, is it not very easy just to say, well, you know, I know God says to do this, but you know, yeah, I kind of, I got close. If you want to experience the blessing and the power of God in your life, obey exactly what He says. Read the Bible. The Bible's an incredible book. It's not just something to tell you what to do and what not to do. It's an incredible book of God revealing Himself. Here's who He is. And here's how we can relate to Him and have eternal life. And here's what He wants us to do around other people. It's an incredible book. Read the Bible. Do exactly what it says. Is that legalism and saying, well, you know, you've got to do all these things and jump through these things? No. It's just exact obedience to what God said. There are things we don't have to pray about. Let's just be honest for you. We don't have to pray about whether or not that we should love each other. It says in the Bible, you don't have to pray about that. God, should I love this person? And I wonder if God just sits there and says, are you kidding? you got some other stuff you can pray about besides that. You know, the, the, Bible, the Bible is clear that, that we ought to, in, in, in one part of it, it says, don't ever give the devil an opportunity for temptation. Don't, don't even give him an opportunity. And yet I wonder sometimes in your life and mine, how many times we just kind of flirt with the line just a little bit of giving the devil an opportunity to influence us. Exact obedience. Rahab did exactly as she was told. She knew what she was supposed to do, and she did it. And then swift obedience. It's clear that neither Joshua nor Rahab wasted any time. Once they knew God, what God wanted them to do, they didn't waste any time. They didn't spend time uh, going before their friends and saying, now here's what, I, here's what I know that God has told me to do, but i really like for somebody to talk me out of it, please. Because I'm not real sure that this is what I want to do. You've been there? And yet we confuse it with saying, well, hey, can you, can you kind of help me discern what God wants me to do? You already know what God wants you to do. He wrote down the Bible, and yet there we go to our friends and in an attempt to say, can you help me figure this out? We're really saying, maybe it's just me, really saying, would you talk me out of this? Because I don't want to do this. I know God's told me to do this. I know this is the way he wants me to live, but please talk me out of it. Please. Been there? I know I have. Swift obedience. We know what God wants us to do. There should be then no delay between knowing and then doing, and yet sometimes there is. And so you want to do your part, be obedient in the routine things. Be obedient and, and do exactly what God says to do. And then do it quickly. I, I believe that, that the longer we allow ourselves time between what we know God says we ought to do and when we actually do it, there's an awful lot of stuff that can happen in between. It's going to keep us from getting to doing what God wants us to do. Experience that in your life. I know I have in mine. Somebody's going to talk you out of it. Your circumstances will talk you out of doing what God wants you to do because it won't make sense. I mean, take the economy today, for example. And, 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 and this has nothing to do with, I'm not going to preach on money today, but understand this. The Bible's clear we ought to be generous givers, that we ought to give to God first. The Bible's clear on that. And yet our circumstances, guarantee this, our circumstances will try to talk us out of it every single time. Why? Because the economy's not any good. I've got to hang on to what i got. I'm with you. I understand. I fight those same battles. But once we figure out what God wants us to do, if there's a big gap, a big delay in doing it, we're going to have lots of things that are going to talk us out of doing what God wants us to do. But I guarantee you this, if you get in the habit of saying, here's what God wants us to do, and boom, I'm doing it. I, I'm, not, I'm going to place my trust in Him alone. I'm not going to let my circumstances talk me out of anything. I'm going to be obedient to Him. I guarantee you God will follow up, and we'll look at it again here in just a second. He'll follow up quickly with His part. You can trust Him. You do it quickly. 
He'll follow up quickly with His part. It may not be exactly what you're wanting, what you're hoping. It may not lead you down the path that you thought would be it. But God is good and He will lead you down a path that leads to life, the Bible says. That leads to knowing Him. And it's incredible. Do it quickly. And then even in the small things, this sort of kind of sums it all up. Rahab and Joshua both showed us that obedience in the small things is very important. They, they didn't stop to ask if all the little details along the way were important. You know, do we really have to prepare for a battle if God has already told us that He's going to take care of everything? I mean, the small things of just getting the people ready and giving specific instruction. I mean, do, does it really have to be tied and hanging out the window? I mean, good grief, you know where I live. I mean, it, come on, it, you, it's, it's a hole in the, in the wall here. I live, literally a hole in the wall. She lived in the wall of the city. I didn't mean to make that joke. But anyway... She, that's fun when you communicate. Anyway, um, and so she literally lived there in the wall. They could have seen her home. I mean, are all the little things necessary? I think sometimes in my life, and maybe it's true in yours, that I find it much easier to follow God in what I determine as a big thing, a public thing, a thing that everybody's going to see that somehow I might even get some credit for than it is to be just obedient in the very small things over and over and over again. And I, I don't want you to misread what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you're obedient in the small things that God's going to bless you in some huge way because He owes you and now you've been faithful and now He owes you. He's already paid the debt that we, didn't, that we couldn't pay that He didn't even owe. He didn't owe us anything. He sent Jesus to forgive us of our sin. He didn't owe us anything. And yet at the same time, the Bible's clear that the more often that we're faithful in the small things, that we can be trusted to be faithful in maybe a little bit bigger thing. Now, for some of us, we just think, well, all right, I'll give some money because I'd like to be trusted with more. I'm not even talking about money. I don't know how God's going to work in your life. A lot of times God works in such intangible ways, it's far beyond what we could even think or imagine. And yet if we're obedient in the small things, then we prove our character. You ever known somebody that you just know behind the scenes they're not who they say they are? Known somebody like that? You just think, yeah, they're they're good up front. And they can talk to people. They're they're obedient out in the out in, the, in you know when people are watching. But you know, I, I just don't think they're who they say they're. And when we're obedient in the small things, we prove our character. And we prove our love for God. Think about it this way: How can I say that that I love God? I mean, how can I prove that I love God? Is it doing something incredible for God? I'm gonna I'm gonna go on this mission trip for God. I'm gonna save the world for God. Absolutely, you can prove it in that. But I guarantee you this. If you've had children or been around children, you know that their devotion and their love for you is not just proven in the big things, but it's in the little things that they know that you want them to do over and over and over again. This morning, Lucy was eating breakfast. And when she got done with breakfast, she brought she, had, she had, was in the, in the living room. She was watching a little show, just kind of relaxing, getting ready for this morning. And and she brought from the living room the dirty dishes that she used there to, 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 to eat into the kitchen. I happened to be standing in the kitchen. And she, she said, Dad, is the, is the dishwasher clean or dirty? I'm thinking, who are you? Where, did you? where did you come from? And what have you done with my daughter? Anyway, but she said, is it clean or dirty? I said, well, it, I believe it's clean. Why don't you just put your dishes there in the sink? And she did. And I said, Lucy, thank you very much. But, you know, she's learning over and over again that obedience in the small things really reflects her relationship with us. 
for their parents. Obedience in just the routine, just doing exactly what God wants us to do, being swift in doing it, and all, all the small little things, it's a reflection of do we really love God or not? Are we willing to do the small things that maybe nobody will ever see, or are we in it for ourselves and only concerned about, I'll do the big things because everybody's watching. Tell you what, you can prove your love for God, and nobody may ever see it, but God will, in the small little things and being obedient. Our part involves personal faith and then obedience. And it also involves dedication. We're getting close to being done, if you're getting a little nervous. Our dedication is both personal, as we've looked at. Rahab obviously had a personal commitment to the Lord because she said, look, I'm giving up my national allegiance. Believe it or not, she committed treason when she did what she did and deserved death by her government. But her allegiance had changed. She was now personally dedicated to God. And we ought certainly to be personally dedicated to God and grow with Him through the study of Scripture, through our prayer, through the things that we do. But we often leave it there because the public dedication of things at church is okay, but outside of church is a little bit different. Public dedication, think about it where you work. If we are publicly dedicated to God, then the way we do business is going to be different. The little tricks of the trade, the way that we just kind of work somebody, the way that we just, eh, I'm not going to really claim all of that. I'm going to try to work the system. The way we take advantage or don't take advantage of something says something about our relationship with God. The way that we work ought to be different. We ought to be the best employees out there. We ought to be. Because God says, you know what, I'm going to come through for you, but you've got your part to play. Your boss ought to know there's something different. If you're a manager, if you are the boss, then your employees ought to see something different in you. They ought to love working for you. They should love it. And I know that, it, that it's tough. I've had people that have worked for me before, and I've been a coach, and I've been a teacher, and I've done these different things. I know it's difficult when you've got people that are working for you. But if they absolutely despise working for you, I think we got some issues. They ought to see something different in you. Does that mean you don't hold them accountable? That's not even the point. But they ought to enjoy working for you because you are a servant of the Lord God and He has changed your life and you operate out of love first for them. Being a manager, if you're a Christian, ought to be different. In your home, the company you keep, what you read, what you watch, how you spend your money, ought to be reflections of your dedication to Jesus Christ. And think about it this way. If the home and the church are working together, if the home and the church are working together, then God is, a, is able, it's, it's amazing when it happens, to do some incredible things in your family. What if the church ceased to exist? How would your family be affected? Would they have a spiritual leader in that home? Who would teach them about Jesus? Who would do it? And, and for the dads, are you the pastor of your home? Are you the pastor of your home? For the, for the moms who maybe you, you, you're on your own, are you guiding your children spiritually? Are you, are you simply doing what God wants you to do in your home? And saying, you know what? I'm going to partner with the church. We're going we're gonna to work together, but the church is not there to replace me as the spiritual leader of my home. What if the church ceased to exist? How would your kids do spiritually? It's tempting and very easy, I think, to rely only on the church or, say, the pastor to teach and to preach what we ought to be doing on a daily basis. 
And it's not easy. I struggle with it myself. I'm a pastor, and I get up here and preach to you, you know, a couple of times each week. And I'll be honest with you, there are times spiritually I'm just tired. And it's hard when I'm at home sometimes to really want to engage my kids spiritually. I'm not going to lie to you. But I realize that over and over and over again, if I don't, number one, I'm dropping the ball, and I'm out of obedience to God. Number two, who's going to? And I don't want them being influenced by somebody who's a spiritual leader or someone else in their life. It's my responsibility. And then at school, I know we've got some young folks here that, that are in school. And, and, you know, I wonder what your teachers think of you, good, bad, or otherwise. Do they see in you some difference? Are you still the person that sits in the back of the class and makes fun of the teacher the whole time? I've been there. But how are you at school? How are your grades? If you're a Christian young person, your grades ought to reflect it. And that doesn't mean that you've got to make straight A's, but that means that you better be doing the best that you can. Why? Because it's a reflection on who God is. He did the very best He could. Our lives should reflect that. Does that mean that you, as I said, you got to make all A's and, and be the, the, the smartest person ever? No, you do the very best you can. But let it reflect who God is. If you're on a team, nobody should outwork you. Nobody. Nobody should outwork you. Nobody should have a better attitude. Your leisure time, what you do for fun, should, res- should reflect the respect and love for God. And then in our conversation, we shouldn't be able to talk long to somebody without them realizing we follow Jesus. I think that's probably the hardest one. Because it's offensive. It's not politically correct. Somebody might wonder a little bit about us, but if we're truly dedicated to God, it'll be reflected in our conversation and how we talk to people. So we do our part, and then we trust God to do His. And as we close, think about this. What's God's part? His part, you'll see it on the screen, is to fulfill His promises. And he's the only one that can do that. Joshua had to trust that the promises from the earlier verses in chapter 1 and from the promises made to the nation generations ago, that he had to trust those would come, come true. He had to trust God. There's a, an element of faith, a huge element of faith that we have to operate on, that, that he would give them the land. God's promise to, to Joshua is, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll, I'll never leave you out there on your own. God's part is to fulfill his promise. Not only that, but to bless obedience. God's, God's part is to bless obedience. In chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, Above all, be, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may be, carefully to observe, may be careful to observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. The Bible makes it clear. We're obedient. God blesses obedience. That's his part. The hard part is when he doesn't bless it exactly the way we think he ought to. And we sometimes get confused. But God will always bless obedience. God will, always, he will also finish what he starts. He'll finish what he starts. God had promised this land to those people hundreds of years ago. And he had started them on a journey and he'd take them through. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Paul writing to them, and he says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God always finishes what He starts. He's not going to leave you hanging. Also, God will give further instruction. God's not going to just send you on a journey and then never talk to you again. We serve a very personal God. We serve a God who's 
intimately involved in every detail of your life and has something to say about it. He'll give you further instruction. You step out in faith, you obey Him, He'll give you further instruction. And then I think, I think this one is probably the, the one that is so hard to get your mind around, but probably of all of the things that God does, it's His part. This one's probably the one that, to me, I, I like the most. His part is to do much more than we will never see. Joshua had served Moses for years. And he had probably seen God do things that you just think, huh, I didn't realize he was doing that. And he had probably experienced the, the resolution of an issue or a certain thing that God was doing that he just, I never really knew God was doing all that. And he knew the story of Abraham when he took Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. And how it seemed like there's no... What's going to happen here? Am I going to kill my son? Because God... It didn't make sense. What's going on? And yet God on the other side of the mountain was bringing up that ram that would eventually get stuck and that would be used instead of Isaac for the sacrifice. God's always got something on the other side of the hill that we can't see. When we trust Him to do His part, He's always working in ways that we may never see to put together a circumstance that then is better than what you could have imagined in Ephesians chapter 3 it says that God is able to do far above anything we can think or imagine and in your life and in my life I don't even know what that looks like why? because I can't think or imagine what God is doing but I know that based upon his character and who he is that he is always doing something that's beyond what I can think or imagine and that's where I need to trust him to do his part I need to do my part and I need to trust God to do his if I'm going to be ultimately successful and don't miss this as we close there was no lower expectation for Rahab because she was a prostitute and because she was a new believer there was no lower expectation she was still expected to be obedient and to follow God Maybe you're a person who says, you know, I'm kind of new at this. Do I get a pass? You get grace from God and you get picked right back up every time you fall down, absolutely. But the standard is still obedience. The standard is still follow God exactly. Follow Him swiftly. Do what He says. That's still the standard. And so maybe you'd do well if you're a new person to the church or to God or to a relationship with Jesus to begin reading, okay, what does it say? I want to know. And there was also no slack for Joshua because he had known God longer and had been faithful and obedient in the past. He didn't get a pass just because his life had mirrored a relationship with God. He was still expected. In his aging years, he was somewhere over 80 years old when this story took place. He was still expected to finish strong and to be obedient to God no matter how old he got same holds true today for us that faith and obedience were expected for them and it's expected from us now and that this perfect choreography this dance this past pattern exists between us and God when we do our part and we trust him to do his and we don't try to do his part and he's not going to do our part for us but we run our route and he drops back and he hits us with a pass right over the middle because we've done our part and he's done his and it intersects there. And it's a beautiful balance between our human action and His divine intervention in our lives. And God will always be faithful. 
He will always be faithful in doing His part. And the question is, will we be faithful in doing ours? Will we walk out of here today and say, well, okay, well, that was great, and I see how that makes sense in the Scripture, but i got a life to live. Or will we do our part? Will we be obedient? Exactly. Even in the small things. Will we be dedicated to Him both personally and publicly? He sent Jesus to forgive us and to pay for our sins. He did, our, he did His part. Our part maybe needs to start with today, for the first time, repenting, turning away from our sin, and placing our trust in Him. Maybe that's your part today. Or you just say, you know, I, I realize I've got, I've got to do my part. And that's not a manipulation of God. It's not to say, well, now God, okay, I did mine. Now, all right, let's go. Because in a right relationship with God, there's humility. There's a reliance on God. There's an understanding that God doesn't think the way we think. There's an understanding that even though He's good, He may not come through right exactly when we think He ought to, but He will always come through. He will always do His part. So my challenge to you and to me is do your part. I want to do my part. What is it that God requires of me? We've seen it. Personal faith, obedience, dedication. And He'll do His part. This morning as we close, maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I, I want to know more about doing my part. Or I, I don't even know if I've ever taken a step toward God in that way. I want to do my part to repent and meet His grace halfway and say, Here, here's, I want to give my life to Him. Love to be able to talk with you about that. If you'd like to make your way down front in just a minute, great. If not, I'll be in the back after we get done. I'd love to talk with you, spend a moment and talk about it. Or you say, you know, I, I've already been saved. I know that Jesus lives inside of me, but... But I've never been obedient past that to, to even be baptized. The Bible's clear that baptism is a step of obedience. Maybe you say, I'd like to do that. Tell me more about it. Or you just know that a personal commitment to say, you know, I'm going to do my part is what's needed. Whatever it is, I pray that you not leave today the same that you walked in. That we'll be different. That we'll do our part. We'll trust God to do His. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for always doing your part. God, it's hard sometimes to do our part because we can't see you working all the time. So God, we ask that you would increase our faith, that you would help us to see where you're working. And God, even in the times we can't see it, God, we pray that you would give us the strength and courage to continue to trust you, to continue to do our part, to have our personal faith in you alone, to be obedient in every single little thing, and to be dedicated to you both personally and publicly. God, for the person who's here that, that needs to, to begin a relationship with you in that way, God, I pray that you give them boldness and courage to step out or to hang out after the service and find out more about what it means to do our part in receiving the gift of grace and forgiveness you've offered. Lord, for those of us that just need to commit to say, I'm in, I, I'm in, I'm doing my part. God, help us as we leave, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we're on a team, as we talk with people. God, thank you so much for your word and how it comes alive to us. And we thank you most for Jesus, who took our place and paid a debt that he didn't know that we couldn't repay. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, let's close with